0: Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to LifePoint Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. We are currently working our way through Robert Paul and Greg Smalley's book, Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage. We're currently looking at love lie number four, I must sacrifice who I am for the sake of my marriage. We closed last week's broadcast with these statements from the book. So, isn't sacrificing yourself, who you are, what you want, how you feel, for those you love and for God, what a loving spouse and faithful follower of Christ does? After all, sacrifice is a main theme of the Bible. The truth is that we are called to sacrifice. The lie, however, is a twisting of the truth. And that distortion leads to an unfortunate sequence of beliefs and behaviors. People often mistakenly interpret die to self and carry my cross to mean that they need to see others as more important than they are, as fundamentally of greater value. Thus people think that because of their worthlessness outside of Christ, they need to continually sacrifice, to keep giving regardless of their well-being and regardless of how much it hurts. Somehow, the result of all that is supposed to bless the Lord and bless others. But as we talked about in a previous broadcast, the common results lead to statements like these I've tried to be faithful and sacrificial, but there's no me left. I don't even know who I am anymore, what I want, how I feel. I feel dead inside. I'm exhausted. I feel cheated. The authors tell us that they don't really believe God designed marriage to be a means of torture and death. You can't have a great marriage without sacrifice, but if you miss the true essence of what God is actually calling us to, you end up sacrificing too much of yourself. We referenced a woman called Sandra at the end of our broadcast last week. As you'll remember, she saw her marriage as a form of crucifixion. Her thought pattern ran along these lines. 1. God gave His Son for us, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. 2. We should give our lives for Him and for others. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is unique, but it provides a model for how we should love each other sacrificially 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Number 3. Other people matter more than I do. The previous two statements are rock-solid biblical truth. Sandra's third idea comes from her own history and life experience. It reflects a common next step in the thought process. You know, there's a fine line between true humility and its counterfeits, self-doubt, self-loathing, and or self-betrayal. Number four, I must sacrifice, that is, change or alter, who I am for the sake of our marriage. Paul pleaded with the followers of Christ to walk in humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It all makes sense, doesn't it? Can you see how easy it is to follow this line of thinking? But Paul wasn't talking about Sandra and her husband. Philippians 2.3 is not a teaching on marriage, a topic that Paul addresses in other letters. Paul is urging believers to respect their fellow brothers and sisters as equals rather than promoting themselves. Well, let's provide a little context. Remember for a moment that the author of lies is our mortal enemy, Satan. His purposes are to steal, kill, and destroy. In contrast, Jesus came for us to have life to the full. Satan's goal is to tear us down in order to render us ineffective. Jesus' intent is to build us up in him in order to fully empower us. The battle between the two is real and we already know who wins in the end. However, if Satan can twist the truth in our minds, causing us to operate outside of the Lord's design and protection, the enemy can destroy us as individuals. He may not ultimately win the war, but he wins the battle for our souls. He picks us off one at a time. Well, what is a godly sacrifice? Let me relay a story that our authors include in their book. Todd is a commercial pilot. He travels for several days at a time. He's exhausted from traveling, staying in hotel rooms, eating room service, and dealing with grumpy passengers. When he finally gets home, he finds his wife, Becky, also exhausted from taking care of their two young children, working as a photographer, and managing the household responsibilities. When he walks in the door, Becky hands off the children. Dinner is in the crockpot, she hastily says. I need a break. I'm going out with my girlfriends. Todd begins to object, but he doesn't want to start a fight. They've had the who-is-more-tired battle before, and it's such a waste of time. However, on a deeper level, Todd is a pleaser and feels guilty when his wife is unhappy. So he suppresses his needs and places Becky's desire first. He becomes a martyr. He reasons that it's his role as a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And since Christ sacrificed his life for the church, Todd believes it's his job to sacrifice for Becky. The problem is, Todd has nothing to give. He's exhausted and running on empty. He has nothing to invest in his kids or his wife. But he keeps on giving and the loss of personal resources is stressful. However, suppressing his needs is backfiring. Resentment builds towards his wife and kids. He stuffs his emotions and reasons that this is what it means to be a husband, even if it is at the cost of his well-being. The pattern repeats itself almost every time he returns from traveling. Our authors tell us that what Todd is giving is not a godly sacrifice. Yes, sacrifice is an essential daily part of Christian life, but it's meant to be an investment of your time, energy, love, resources, not a sacrifice of who you are. That is actually self-betrayal. The author's definition of sacrifice is this, the act of giving up something of value you own, your time, money, possessions, comfort, desire, sleep, life, etc., for the sake of someone else. Clearly, there are many of us who are like Todd and don't understand the value of who we are as individuals and what we have been given. We are people of incalculable eternal worth and value. Additionally, we are not here by accident. Each one of us was intentionally placed here for a reason. God has a desire for each of us to be directly engaged with Him in His unfolding plan and purpose. Every aspect of our lives matters. Thus, as people designed by the very hand of God, He values us to the degree He sent Jesus to die for us rather than lose us. To suppress the light within us grossly undervalues the significance of that eternal life. We may sacrifice our life for one another, as Jesus did, but what makes that sacrifice so amazing is how much our life in Christ is actually worth. Therefore, we have high value as individual people and are as valuable and important as everyone else. When we give and sacrifice something we have, the significance of the gift is directly correlated to its value. Ideally, sacrificial love flows from a state of life-giving abundance, not from emptiness. In our possession are numerous valuable assets, our lives included. The primary responsibility we now bear becomes one of stewardship, which is simply how skillfully we manage the resources we've been entrusted with. With that in mind, let's pause a moment and talk about stewardship in general. To me, stewardship is a lifestyle, and I think that fits in well with our author's line of thought. Let's look at the three key elements of good stewardship and how they can contribute to making your marriage one you both love. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Element number one, value the asset. The first essential step in good stewardship is to recognize the genuine worth and value of what has been entrusted to your care in this case, you, your life, and all you've been given. This includes your gifts and talents, your energy, and your potential to make a positive difference in your spouse's life and your family, community, world, and the kingdom of God. All of these and more have enormous value. Note the true value of something you possess is not only determined by what you think it's worth. The authors tell us to imagine you are a child and know that money has value and can buy stuff, but you don't fully understand it. As you're walking down the street, you see a piece of paper money in the gutter. When you pick it up, it has a picture of a man and under it is the name Franklin. In each corner is the number 100, but you don't know what any of that means. All you know is that you can buy stuff, and you're excited. So, you take it to a convenience store on the corner, and on the counter you see a basket with delicious-looking, individually-wrapped pieces of bubblegum with a sign that says, Five Cents Each. Well, our time's gone for today. Thanks for being with me. We'll continue this story and study next week. Before we go, I want to invite you to join me on Monday mornings at 10 a.m., on my Mutual Understanding Method Facebook page for some live teaching about relationships. If you don't use Facebook, or the time's not convenient, you can visit my website, mutualunderstanding.net, and click on the MUM Live tab to listen to the recorded teachings. Have a great and safe weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at Cloverdalechurch.org. To you know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.